Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today I'm joined by my pretty regular guest, uh, Paul Hoppy. And Paul, I want to thank you for being a friend. I want to thank you for going down the road and back again. And because of that, today we're going to talk about something I know that's dear to your heart that you have reintroduced me to. And that frankly, in the, pa- in the wake of the passing of Betty White, it is particularly appropriate for us to talk about. We are talking about the super heroic ability to survive on a teacher's salary in Miami, <laughs> the Golden Girls. We're going to get into all that. A substitute teacher's salary, no less. A substitute teacher salary, no less. It's amazing the things you can do if you grew up in Sicily. All that and more after commercial break, we have no control over. Welcome back. This is Matthew, your host. I'm joined, as I said, by Paul. And for the last couple of months, really, maybe even a year, Paul and I have been bouncing around the idea of doing something about Golden Girls. Uh, it's a show that I watched when I was a very little kid, maybe like 10 or 11 on syndication. A lot of it went over my head. Paul, I know, got back into it more recently and has been telling me a lot more about it. And and so I think it, we're, it, we were thinking about when would be a good time to jump into it. And and then with the recent passing of Betty White, it seemed just the perfect time. And I want to just start there because Betty White is obviously a very big part of this show, but it's just become kind of like an important part of our culture in all sorts of ways. And and so we're going to just start by like remembering Betty White and, and her passing. Um, Paul, what, what for you is Betty White in terms of like her importance and meaning in our culture? Yeah. Um, I mean, she's been around a, a long time, you know, <laughs> like almost a hundred years. My, you know, my thought was like, oh, let's do an episode on her hundredth birthday. And she didn't mm-hmm. quite make it, but, uh, you know, 99 right. and 11 months is a, is a, a you know, if, if that's about how long I live, I won't be super, well, whatever. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I think a lot of people, you know, think of her in recent years as sort of like America's grandmother or something in quotes. But mm-hmm. I think it's important to remember, like, she was in show business when she was a lot younger as well. And, you know, she managed to be relevant through a lot of different phases of her life. And, um, you know, more recently, I think being able to show like, yeah, you can be 95 or 93 or whatever she was and host Saturday Night Live and be funny, Mm -hmm. you know. And, um, you know, not that you should feel like you have to be doing a bunch of things when you're in your 90s, but you can, you know. and. You can do that whether you started when you were younger or or when you're older. And um, so I think in a lot of ways, you know, she helped kind of break a lot of stereotypes that people have about older people, Mm -hmm. a lot of assumptions that people have. Um, You know, I mean, it was it was 30 ish years ago when she was on the Golden Girls and playing a character who was older than most protagonists in shows you know, and maybe it was 30 years before that, uh, maybe it was 20 years before that, that she was on the, um, the Mary Tyler Moore show as a very different character. And, you know, she had her own show in the fifties. Right. Um, and, and was, I think she was the first, um, woman to have a, like, a a, I think it was a variety show. Right. And I go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. And yeah, she was, she was either the first or one of the first, and then also was pretty pretty out there in terms of the things that she was pushing to have on her show and the people she was to have on exactly. her show. Exactly. And, you know, when her producer, she insisted on, on having, you know, a, you know, her producer was a black man that she had insisted on having be her producer. And 
there was pressure on her to change and she refused to. And I think the show ended up getting canceled as a result, which is horrible. But I think it, you know, I think she's, you know, she showed in her life how you can push barriers on your own. And then you can also try to kind of help more people come along with you. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, and she was also just really funny, you know, (laughs) like, um, on, on a lot of different shows and in a lot of different ways, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know, as Rose, she plays this, um, very literal minded, naive kind of character though, who does have, um, other facets, you know, but then she also right. played very promiscuous characters and other, originally she was going to be Blanche in the Golden Girls, you know? Yeah. And then they're like, actually let's switch it up, you know? Um, and they got, which I've, I've never heard Betty White do a Southern accent, but apparently she was quite good. Right. At it. I'm, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I mean, she was a great actress mm-hmm. and comedian and, um, and then also animal rights advocate, you know, back mm-hmm. before it was really popular, <laughs> you know? And, um, I mean, at one point I think she described her life as being half show business and half animals, like loving animals and, and trying to take care of them. And, um, that's right. obviously something that's, you know, dear to my heart. Um, and, you know, I, I think like when she was younger, she was that sort of what to me seems kind of paradoxical, like animal lover and advocate who's like not a vegetarian and on some level that right. sort of doesn't com- compute to me. It seems like a s- sort of um, a little bit of cognitive dissonance dissonance. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think later in life she did become a vegetarian and I think ultimately vegan oh, cool. towards the end of her life. And like, I saw some like Twitter outrage that like she ate one hot dog in like 2011. And I'm like, can we just, can we realize this is a person who was born in like 1921, you know, who mm-hmm. like had this arc of, you know, just already caring about animals and trying to fight for them. And then over time, gradually kind of refining what that means to her, you know? Right. And I think that can be a lot of people's journeys. You know, it's like, we don't always have to go to whatever our our final position is going to be. Like it's life is, is a, is a process and, you know, we can have a lot of different phases through it. And I think that uh, there's a lot about the show Golden Girls itself we want to get into, but I want to just harp on that because One thing we talk about a lot on this show, you know, is the idea of the people who create the stuff that we love, you know, when they sometimes aren't, you know, either they have attitudes or ideas in in their shows or otherwise that aren't the best, or even when like they create something and at a time it's great, but then 20 or 30 years later, it doesn't look the best. And, you know, like Joss Whedon, I think we often talk about like Buffy the Vampire Slayer at its time was doing a lot to sort of you know, push the idea of female characters and, and protagonists and heroes into new places. But then 20 years later, we're still kind of writing the same stories and being critiqued mm-hmm. for it. And um, in Betty White's case, you're talking more about her personal life, but still it's that idea of being able to say like, yeah, to be an animal rights activist in the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, like the idea, I think for most, there were vegetarians to be sure, they're probably even vegans, but like, in the Overton window of what does it mean to be an animal rights activist didn't really include what you eat. It just wasn't part of the conversation for the most part. As she, at least in many of those conversations, as she, you know, but but from what you're saying, it really sounds like she's someone who 
as that Overton window changed, as, as she heard more understanding the perspectives, she also shifted and changed. And and to me, that's, I think, one of the things you can most admire about a person is the ability to say, like, yeah, here's where I am in terms of this issue now. And then 20 or 30 years later, I'm not just going to sit on my laurels and say, well, I made this cool statement that people thought was important 20 years ago. The issue has changed. And so I'm going to change with it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I think the Overton window is a good way of kind of framing it. You know, I would say within right. the Overton window specifically of animal rights, that was probably a thing for a long time. But in terms of sort of the, um, you know, greater Overton window of society, which is a little narrower um, than yeah. in any given area. Um, you know, I mean, I became a vegetarian in 1984, and in 1987 or eight or nine or something, I went to baseball camp. And when I told people I was a vegetarian, they're like, you're a veterinarian. And I was like, no, but I guess that's close. Yeah. But like, like people didn't even know <laughs> what I was talking about, you know, in the eighties or right. then in the nineties kind of people had an idea. And then like, you know, that was kind of when someone was like, you know, like dairy is not the best. And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, aren't they from happy cows? Yeah. It's like, mm so much and like i think people just you know we don't learn everything about the world all at once and we don't have all of our thoughts at once and as you know it's like to me you know it's not like we're limited by whatever the thoughts of others around us are but we can be pushed mm -hmm. or pulled by them right and so i just think having the openness and the willingness to listen to new ideas and change as we, you know, get older, acquire more experience, learn more about the world as, you know, we do as long as we're listening and paying attention to it. Um, I don't know. I think that's a, a, you know, a good, a good aspect of one's character to have and maintain whatever those changes are. Sure. Right? I mean, they don't have to be about animal rights, right? They can be about any issue. Um, just like if we're always increasing our understanding of the world around us, um, you know, hopefully yeah. we'll end up making better decisions as life goes on. I mean, I, I've been making this podcast for five years now and you actually started with me. And I'm sure that if we went back and listened to some of the episodes we made in like the first year, there are some positions, at least I think that I took that I'd be like, eh, I think I'd be a little more nuanced on that. I think I would, you know, oh, yeah. um, uh, you know, I, uh, I think just if nothing else, just like, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of those things that, that, that you hope you change, you grow. Uh, one quick thing I want to mention, I, I think uh, the story of the producer may also be true, but uh, I know the, the story that I know is that um, Arthur Duncan, who became a really well-known dancer and entertainer, uh, got his start as a guest on the Betty White show. He was black, and that was one of the things that caused quite a lot of controversy, and, and a lot of the, the Southern syndicates didn't want to carry the show, and she said, you know, quite famously, no, you know, he's, he's my guest, we're sticking with it. Um, and apparently also she would also do a, a children's se section on the show. And she had a black child as part of kind of the, the, the kids she would interview, which was also somewhat new at the time. So that she let, that was actually the story that I was attempting to tell. I think she was actually the producer. <laughs> okay. And I think that was she was the first yeah. woman who was the producer of her own show. And it's the tap dance. It's Arthur um, Duncan, who I was talking about, but I just learned about this recently and thus yeah. <laughs> was uh, essentially blathering incoherently for about a minute. But uh, yes, thank you for, I... <laughs> for giving the actual story of the thing that happened. And thus I, I mean, have learned I more to... now. 
<laughs> I tend to believe that as long as the facts are within the veil of the mm-hmm. truth that that matters. But Paul has reminded me that facts that are technically true are better facts. And so those are the facts we try yes, to have. Yes, what I said was in the spirit the of the truth. But what you said was, <laughs> yes, exactly. you know, in the, uh, the actual truthiness of the truth. Exactly, exactly. Um, so now let's step out of 1984 <laughs> into the uh, show from 1984, sure. uh, The Golden Girls. Um because that's obviously the thing I think that Betty White is generally most known for, uh, or at least for a while. She's obviously done quite a lot since then. And before, yeah. Hot in, hot in Cleveland, SNL, and then just kind of being just a general, like, cultural figure. But the show Golden Girls, because I, I have to admit, when you told me a couple of years ago that you were really into it and really enjoying it, my memory of it was watching it when, I, like I said, I was like 10 or 11 years old. It was on syndication. And it was just a show about this is the way I thought of it at the time, you know, old women being funny and living in Miami and kind of having foibles. And that's all I really knew about it and all I really remembered about it. And it, it seemed like it was just one of 30 sitcoms at mm. the time that were mildly amusing, but not really worth m- remembering. And then I started seeing, you know, you talking about it, a lot of other people talking about it and the, the queer community talking about it as this thing that they, they were completely embracing. Like, what, what is it about Golden Girls that really spoke to you? Yeah, so um, I first I'll, I'll credit it with sort of the reason that Lee and I are together. Like when, oh, okay. when, cool. when we'd been together for like, like the first year or so of living together, um, we would watch the Golden Girls at 1 a.m. till I think it was like 1 a.m. till 2 a.m. Maybe Frasier was part of that. I don't know. But there was like an hour of Golden Girls every night around when we go to sleep. And put it on and go to sleep and then turn the TV off or whatever. Back when we actually had, a, you know, a TV with, like, stations and stuff. Right. Uh, Network yeah. television. Like. Um, and, at, you know, as couples <laughs> often do, we, we had disagreements over time. And, you know, there, there's moments where it's like we almost broke up. And, like, one of the reasons that I really didn't want to was, like, this feeling of, like, that thing that we share together like would no longer be there, you know? And it's like, sometimes it's the small things I think that are, um, that are important in relationships. You know, it's like, it's like my memories of other relationships might be like eating pasta and watching X files, you know? And, um, and so that, that just, we ended up actually getting all the discs. Like I have the complete seven seasons on DVD and, basically for a number of years like that's like our sleep show like you put it on go to Mm. sleep but like watch you know or listen to like the first couple episodes if you don't sleep as well you hear episodes three and four sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and hear episodes like seven or eight on the disc so i definitely know the episodes that are at the beginning of each disc better than the ones that are at the end (laughs) of each disc (laughs) that's fair that's fair so you know it, it just became like a significant part of my life without being this really active thing right um and i think Mm -hmm. one thing that happens with shows sometimes is there's this feeling of kind of like knowing the characters and them being sort of like friends um yeah and it like it does feel like a particularly cozy show and that it's it's this found family and they're basically almost Mm -hmm. always in the house right the four of them and like one or two or three other characters in a given episode um and kind of, you know, they've they've got conflict, but things generally work out, uh, or they always work out by the end of the episode or the two-episode arc or whatever. But 
Right. They also deal with a lot of things that I feel like in the 80s and early 90s, not a lot of shows were really doing, you know? Yeah. Um, and then also just having a show that has, you know, not young women as the protagonists, it's just so rare, you know? It's, it's yeah. just, there have been a couple since then, but like very few. And um, it, the fact that it, embraces the characters and their ages but doesn't make that like the thing about all the characters because what happens on a lot of shows is you'll have one older character and the thing about that character is that they're older right and maybe they have one other characteristic but here you've got four fully formed characters who have you know very complex histories over over a hundred episodes and it's just it's like a kind of representation that you just don't see that much and i i don't know maybe for me like growing up in a house with like just my mom after i was eight right or eight and some Mm -hmm. months um seeing like and you know at that time my mom was younger than most of the golden girls are Mm -hmm. but like i don't know like my mom was one of the most important people in my life she still is you know she's one of my best friends and so seeing, you know, a woman of her age, like her age now, and when I was younger, her age was like Blanche's age or whatever, like seeing that actually represented in fiction, it matters to me, you know? You know, it's funny. I, I want to say a quick thing about just sort of the serious topics, because I think that's that's the thing that I missed when I watched it when I was 10 mm-hmm. or 11, you know, 11 or 12, whatever. Like, I thought some things were funny, but later, both before Betty White passed, but especially in the last couple, in the last week or two, I've gone back and been watching a lot of old episodes and realizing, like, almost all the time they're dealing with serious things in in serious ways with a lot of humor. There's a lot of other great stuff there you threw out that I also want to get into. But let's just start with the age part because I I think it's it's hard to imagine how revolutionary it was in the 80s, in part because it's still quite revolutionary today to have a show like this where, like you said – all the protagonists are, I think they're all supposed to be in their 50s. Um, I th- well, so I think Blanche is like early 50s and Dorothy and Rose start off in their late 50s and then end up in their 60s. And Sophia starts in her late 70s and ends up in her 80s. That sounds right. Yeah, Blanche is definitely a couple of years younger than, than the rest of them. But like you said, often, especially the stuff, I mean, I remember when I watched this, let me actually kind of back up a second here because I think it kind of helps say something about perceptions of age all i remembered about the show was it was about old women and so in my mind as i then let it bet when i was amazed to realize they were in their Mm. 50s because i think it'd become sort of the mandela effect kind of thing i thought it was a show about people in their 70s um in part because i think a because I i was 11 but also like the way that aging is often portrayed in hollywood especially for women is, you know, once you're past 30, you're just old, mm-hmm. or pa- even past 40. And the difference between, like, well, you're 50 or you're 70, it doesn't matter, because you are just old. And the fact that this show was taking that on directly, and so much of it was about, you know, these women still having active sexual lives, uh, being vibrant, being bowling and playing tennis and doing, like, all sorts of things that, I mean, I'm in my mid-40s. I'm not that far away from some of this. Um, you know, and certainly having seen 
it, it, it's kind of hard to talk about in part because, like, since the 80s, just the medicine and technology has changed so much that, like, what a person can, is, can be like in their 50s, 60s, and 70s has changed so much dramatically. But still, I think so much of the show is challenging what was thought then and what's thought today about what does it mean to be older, but also especially to be an older woman. Yeah, I think, like, when I was a kid, you know, like, everybody over 30 seemed like they were 100, Right. Like, yeah, exactly. so I think I think there, there wasn't that specific a perception of age or it was like anyone from like 20 to 40 was like parent age and mm-hmm. anyone over like 40 or 50 was just like ancient. But like, you know, yeah. obviously our perceptions of age are going to change as as we age. Right. And um, mm-hmm. being able to kind of tell roughly how old someone is. Um, but, yeah, there, there was a lot of um, I mean, there, there's still a lot of ageism. Right like everywhere mm-hmm. in, in society, but it is still more directed at women. And at that point, I think, you know, you're absolutely right. It was like, there's like this cutoff, right? And right. and as women kind of age out of a certain age, you know, kind of um, sort of character range, I th- there's this huge pressure or temptation to try and remain younger, essentially, right? And I mean, I I think that's, that's got its whole things. Um, I will say like when I was a kid, my, my grandfather was like, or my grandpa was like, he was bowling in his eighties, you know? So Mm. it's not like people weren't still doing things like my, you know, my Nana, my, my dad's mom was doing Tai Chi until she was, you know, 90 or 90 something. I forget how old she, she ended up, you know, dying at, but like, she was like, you know, these were grandparents who were very, very physically active into their eighties. And, you know, that's right. kind of, that's always been a thing. It's like, now it feels like it's maybe it's more prevalent, right? There's more encouragement for people to do that. Um, but I think it's always, there's always been this like perception that like everybody's kind of the same in a, in a certain, I, I guess it's just like a stereotype. Yeah. Right. Well, cause it, yeah, I mean, we're kind of talking about how this show fits in against what else was in Hollywood at the time and since then, not live reality. Right. It doesn't have anything to do with live reality. Right, exactly. And, and that's the thing is like I might know like in my case, my my parents had me quite late and their grand, their parents had them quite late. So for me, grand, I think that was a part of it. Is for me, grandparents were people in their 70s and 80s. Right. Uh, by the time I was born, by the time I was three or four, both of my grandfathers had passed away. My grandmothers were at kind of like nursing home age already. So, yeah. So to me, that was also part of it. It's like grandmother meant 75 and in a nursing home. Whereas like the, the characters in the Golden Girls are grandparents. I, th- I think all three of them are grandparents. Yeah. Um, and Sophia is a great grandparent. But like I said, so. yeah, but they're in their 50s and 60s. I think another thing, you know, and I think that's the thing is like, yeah, like we might have had these individual experiences, but then when all the TV shows, all the movies – what I remember about that point is most of the time, if older women were being talked about, it was often like the male character in a sitcom talking about how awful his mother-in-law mm. is, you know, the battle axe jokes mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And if ever an old woman, an older woman's sexuality was being mentioned, especially it was always in this horrible thing. It was like this, like, Oh, it's so scary and horrible that you're being right. hit on, you know, or like in a lot of the kind of like, you know, uh, teen romp movies, you know, that was always the horrible thing. It's like you get hit on by 
uh, your friend's mother who's in her. This was this was not the Skyler's mom is hot right, right, kind right, of idea. Right. This was the like you know a woman in her forties or fifties is hitting on you. That's the scariest thing that you could imagine. And and so yeah, I think it just it really underscores why this show was so different. Yeah, and I appreciate that like they all you know they all have their sexuality, but they it's it's not the same. Right there, and, right. and you know, and there's certain jokes. There's like a lot of slut shaming directed at Blanche, but it, it's not. It feels like less judgmental in some ways than it yeah. often is, you know, because it's like she's one of the main characters, and and she is who she is, and unapologetically so, you know, and yeah. so you know, while there are jokes that are kind of like, mm, you know. Maybe that's not the best. You know, they they also were representative of a lot of, you know, of of the the norms at the time and sort of how the characters, some of them break the norms, you know. And then then you get Rose, who's not as much, um, not as uh, promiscuous, right, but but still has, you know, interest and and that that gets to be an issue like the, you know the first man she's with after her husband dies. Like, and these are issues that are, that are real that, that people encounter throughout life. Right. And that just, I think didn't get covered very much. Not like I watched every piece of media up until 1980, whatever, but like, you know, I don't remember seeing it anywhere else. Yeah, no, I think it's very true. And I think that's, I think in a lot of ways, the way the Blanche's sexuality is treated is kind of one of those examples of, of kind of what we were talking about before, where it's like it is progressive of its mm-hmm. time, even though a lot of it looks terrible to right. us today. You know, I think that it it comes off as very slut shamey, but the simple fact that she got to be a full character where they tease her about her promiscuity, but she teases them about being sure. prudes and she gives as good mm. as she gets, like that alone, you know, and so I think, yeah, if you read it today, there's some lines where I'm like, oh, you know, and and except, like, there's a lot of those things about the show, you know? Like, there are um, – one of the first uh, uh, episodes – I think the first episode is about uh, Rose entering menopause and uh, – I'm sorry, no, Blanche mm-hmm. entering menopause. And it's done – and, again, that's, a, like, you know, talking about women's periods was – to me, that – you know, as a 12-year-old boy taught, like, that's the grossest thing in the world. We're never going to talk about that on television. And so there's some great episodes, there's some great moments of them like going to a doctor's office and like having these important like feminist understandings in the doctor's office and then making a joke about the doctor being Jewish. Right. <laughs> it's just like, I, you know, I, I it it's in part, in, for nothing else, it's fascinating to me for that to watch like, what does it mean for a show to be progressive in its mm-hmm. time? And still like, I don't, like I think they're, they make fun of anti-Semitism quite a lot, but also oh, like yeah. that's just. The, the you know the they they do episodes about like you know the latino people in um latinx people in miami not being treated well and then also have a lot of jokes about the gardener fernando right. like it's it's such an i think it's the kind of show where it'd be very easy to watch it and just say oh this is racist this is sexist this is all the problems of the 80s and it is but it also can there's so much contained in it that i think gets missed if you just see that yeah for sure and i mean it, this is uh the thing about comedy is that a lot of jokes aren't going to age that well. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of those people should have seen coming, you know. Um, but some of them also, it's just like, all right. I mean, people's understanding of the world changes individually and collectively. Yeah. 
And so, I don't know, I, I, I do kind of buy the little bit of a, a comedy carve-out where it's like, look, if something makes you feel uncomfortable, I'm certainly not going to say, hey, this shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, some things are going to be misses. And, and, you know, in terms of anti-Semitism, like, there's a whole episode where they're going to go to this, you know, this the Mortimer Club or whatever. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, he can't come. And it's like, oh, his tuxedo? Well, and it's like, no, because he's Jewish. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, we're not going to be friends anymore. Because you're willing to go to a club. Yeah. But then, you know, there's also jokes like, why are so many doctors Jewish? Because their mothers are. And I don't know. Maybe that one's not really anti-Semitic, but it's certainly sort of stereotypical. And, you know, there's some other things here and there. Um, you know, and it's just like, it, I think the same thing when it comes to, you know, gay characters and representation. Yeah. You know, and, you know, in terms of trans characters, maybe it's a little bit more on, you know, mm-hmm. the the um sort of offensive side right um like like dorothy's brother is i mean i don't know whether dorothy's brother is precisely trans because mm-hmm. dorothy's brother never shows up on screen right yeah he um th- th- this is an issue that's gotten talked about quite a lot and i want to get more mm-hmm. into kind of the where the show fits in terms of the, the queer community and how beloved it's become but this issue particularly gets talked about a lot and and often kind of mentioned as one of the things that the show didn't do the best mm-hmm. job on uh yeah he, he's a cross-dresser right. i think and 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 but even there also like the language that we use around being transgender 90 percent of it that we use today didn't exist right. in the 80s you know like non-binary or like talking about the difference between being a transvestite versus being transgender mm-hmm. versus cross-dressing like so, yeah, so it's kind of hard to say where he fits. He's probably the butt of a lot more jokes than he needed yeah. to be. Um, but he, I think one of the things that the show does is, and this is the kind of thing that, like, I think today, because we understand microaggressions a lot more, we don't – shows don't do this, and maybe that's a good thing. But I think the show chooses a very fine line between the idea of, like, we're going to poke lighthearted we're going to poke what it thinks is lighthearted fun at everybody. But then when we have serious discussions, we're going to be solidly on the side of against racism, against sexism, against misogyny, against ageism, against against queerphobia or transphobia even. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think sometimes that poking fun it goes a little further than mm-hmm. you probably want it to. Um, and that's where it gets into some some complicated issues. Yeah. But but the when it really tackles issues, it's remarkably progressive. Right. Exactly. And I, I feel like, um, I mean, there's, there's a quote from Blanche where she says something like, you know, you tease the ones you love, um, tease and tickle, tease and tickle and spank. But like, you know, that's, that's the way, <laughs> that's the way Jen Blanche says things. But like, um, I, I, I spared you my uh, version of her Southern accent, but you know, <laughs> um, but like, I, I think that's to some extent sort of the show's attitude is like, we are going to kind of tease everybody a little bit. And, you know, there are a lot of things where it's like, there's ways to make, have fun with thing, with, with aspects of people's identity without being really mean spirited. But then sometimes those aren't going to, you know, it's like, they say like, you've got to read the room, right? But like when you're making a TV show, it's like the room is like, I don't know, the national collective unconscious or the international collective unconscious. And it's like. Right. You know, they definitely missed some. And I, I totally agree in terms of Phil. Um, 
Mm-hmm. I will say that, uh, I guess spoilers, if you haven't gotten up to this point, but at, at Phil's funeral, they, they get into it a lot. And th- there is a lot of that that I think absolutely it's yeah. uncomfortable and doesn't feel like it's done the best. Um, but at the same right. time, there is a moment towards the end when, you know, which I, I think is very poignant. And I wish they like went one more step with it. But like, um, you know, Sophia is basically like, you know, she felt like, what did I do to make him this way? Right. Which right. I think is a very common, unfortunate thing that parents feel. The thing that she says then that I think makes it play a little better is that then she's like, but, you know, I loved him and it didn't matter to yeah. me. You know, she just, she felt this, like, she didn't understand, you know. Right. And it would have been nice if they then could have gone past that to sort of have somebody in the room be like, that's, and I think somebody was like, that's, that's just Phil, you know, it's, a, but like somebody be like, look, it's, right. that's not something you did. That's just who Phil was. And like, you know, you loved him and like, regardless of yeah. not understanding. And I think sometimes that's important to be able to be like, look, I don't understand what you're going through. I don't yeah. understand your perspective. I've tried, but regardless, you know, I love you. I, I care about you. And mm-hmm. I accept that you are who you are, right? Even if I don't get it. I mean, it. Rose gets to have a moment where she basically says that in a moment where uh, when Dorothy's, because uh, the topic of uh, homosexuality, if, uh, what we and I would refer to as queerness, um, comes up a lot. And there was a character in the first episode, Coco, the oh, gay yeah. chef, um, who I, you kind of imagine that he was going to be that like kind of like Will and Grace 20 years beforehand mm. where like, 80% of it was people making gay jokes at him, but then him laughing back. And you're sort of like, so glad that this is the first gay character who gets to be on TV for a while. But also, oh my God, the things are being said to him are right. horrible. But like, it turned out even that was too much for that, for TV at that are time. Are you sure that that's um, the, like, so I heard a different reason that he didn't hmm. remain in the show. I certainly. I'm mean, going to hear the other. I, oh. What I heard was that that was a part of it, but that it was also just like that they really liked the idea of it being just the four right. women and him him there kind of would take away from it somewhat. And I think the idea that he was like the cook and then like once Sophia shows up, like she's like going to be in the kitchen a lot cooking, you know, it's the whole mm, okay. Italian chef thing. But I mean, at the same time, it's like it's not hard to believe that it's like, whoa, 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 a gay character in the main cast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is 1985. Like... But what I was saying was, I think I think in the first season, uh, but certainly pretty early on, there's an episode where Dorothy's um, former college roommate, I think, who's Jean. still been a very yeah. good friend, who yeah, who is a lesbian, comes and develops a crush on Rose, and and what Rose says is something kind of along the lines of what you were kind of saying you wish with Phil, where she says like, I don't understand your feelings and I don't return them, but if I did, I think I'd be very flattered, right? You know, and it's very clear that she's saying like, I'm not judging you, I don't I don't get it. But I don't need you. I don't. I don't need to get it to to respect you and to be honored that you find me attractive in that way, even if that's not what I'm yeah. going to do. And can uh, we? When I am myself. Can we be friends? You know, can we just be friends? And she's right. Like, yeah. Um, Blanche, Blanche and, on the other I, hand, is like, yeah. she's attracted to Rose. Like, why isn't she attracted <laughs> to me? <laughs> yeah, and that's I think, I think with both Rose and then also with an episode they later do with Blanche and her um, brother. Is it Blanche's yes. brother? Yeah, brother who who wants to get married. Fighting. One of the things that I really like is 
they sh- it's not that our our heroes are all super progressive off the bat you know with all their ideas often what we see is them learning along mm-hmm. with the audience and so and, and so yeah it's that kind of thing where it's like Blanche starts out being kind of homophobic and says some things that are meant to be very funny while being homophobic and are sort of like yeah you get why they're very funny jokes except that they're really problematic in some ways but the point is that the char- it's that the character isn't there right. yet and the character gets to learn and in this case it's Sophia saying you know well, why did you want to get married why was it important to you why shouldn't uh, Clayton have get to have the same thing. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, I think that's often a good format, right, for kind of giving in the audience a chance to kind of come along with a character, you know, because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you do have audience members who are, you know, homophobic, which, like, y- you, you do, right? <laughs> like, yeah. that's just, that's a thing. But, like, ones who aren't necessarily, like, virulently so, you know, who maybe have an open mind, and it's sort of like, I think it's a way to be like, look, we get it. Like, this might be where you are, but like, try coming over to here. Yeah, you know, and and with Blanche, especially, you know, I mean, yeah, especially like in the eighties, I would have said like, homophobic meant the people who go up and like beat up gay right. people, and like, if you just thought like, yeah, gay people should live their lives, but they shouldn't get married because that's just what straight people do, like. I think in the 80s, we wouldn't even thought of that as homophobic. That was just the normal thing. That thinking. was definitely the default um, population of, the, you know, position of the majority of the population, I'm sure. Exactly, exactly. I think today we'd see it all of it's homophobic, to be sure. But yeah, but, and so where Blanche is representing, probably is pretty radical where she winds mm-hmm. up. And I also think that, like, in that arc, because that's like two episodes, right? There's a, first the one where her brother comes out to her, um, but first mm-hmm. lies about actually being with Rose. Rose somehow always ends up <laughs> in all of this. Um, but like, and then Blanche has a process of like just accepting that, right? But then later mm-hmm. when um, when he's getting married, then she has to kind of cross another bridge essentially, like in terms of acceptance, you know? And, and she gets there yeah. as well eventually, you know? And so I think this sort of like non-linear, like you go from, you know, not understanding a thing and not accepting it to like, just being like, okay, I totally, you know, it's like, that's not necessarily the way things always work. And so also showing a character kind of struggle to get there, I think can be, um, can be helpful. I think. Yeah. I think like another episode that really struck me and I'm mostly using episodes from the earlier part of the seasons because that's mostly what I've seen, but I also am remembering and have read about quite a lot of others uh, again, in the first season, there's an episode where Dorothy starts dating a man, a man who Blanche found attractive, and, and Dorothy is clearly kind of enjoying the fact that this guy's into her and not mm-hmm. Blanche, and that she's winning. Uh, you know, there's some competitiveness there. And we see him make a, a very forward pass against, uh, uh, I say against quite literally, right. I mean, basically like, you know, sexually assaults yeah. her. Um, nothing happens much beyond like hands, but like it's not okay in any way what he does. And Blanche, like, you know, says no, pushes him away. And then when she tells Dorothy, Dorothy can't it can't believe it. Dorothy basically does the slut shamey of, well, it, she doesn't say, like, you know, Blanche, you were asking for it by any means. But she, she, she basically assumes that Blanche is making this up because she doesn't want Dorothy to be right. with this guy. And sort of the unspoken thing here that's very clear is is Dorothy sort of feeling like, well... 
she just doesn't believe Blanche, you know, part because of the competitiveness, but I think in part because of Blanche's promiscuity. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching it and thinking like, you know, the words me too are never spoken. The, the words that are used today around like, you know, believe women uh, are never spoken, but that's exactly the theme of the episode. Sure. And and you get to see Dorothy, who's in some ways, I think kind of the, the main protagonist of the four be very wrong. Yeah. And, and admit that. Yeah. And, and have to understand that, you know, she was making bad assumptions, right? And mm-hmm. kind of seeing things how she wanted to. And, and you know, not believing her very good friend and instead believing this dude she'd met for like a few weeks or something, you know? Which is right. like, mm, you know, but people do that, right? And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Dorothy is the most central character, you know, in that it's like, it's her, mm-hmm. she lives with her friends. I mean, she was, they were just roommates at first, right? But they became friends and then her mother moves right. in. So she's kind of, you know, the most, the linchpin right. kind of. It, it, I just have to say in one of the most sort of like, you forget sometimes just how contrived plot lines were in the 80s. It's just, oh, Sophia was staying in a nursing home. The nursing home burned down. <laughs> now she's living right. with us. That's it. There's nothing else about yeah. it. Like, I kept being like, wait, really? That's all? Okay, that's that's the situation of situation comedies did not need to stand up to much. Uh, right, right, right. You know, yeah. it just, it was just it was. You, this happens. Okay, <coughs> take it. Um, <laughs> everyone's okay. No one died. The home burned down. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I like that's you know when she enters. When I got the first yep. line wrong. What are other kind of particular things about the show you think that were that really strike strike you as important? Um, are there issues it covered or just kind of the way it did things? Yeah, I mean, there's there's an extent to which the, you know, the, um, the, the people on the show kind of got to get some of their issues and like circling back to Betty White, you know, she was, she was a big uh, animal rights activist. And so she got some more kind of like animal episodes in there where, you know, there were dogs who mm. were characters and, um. You know, you mentioned the mink breeding, which like it, it's for, for the first episode, they've like bought minks to breed. I remember contacting Paul and being like, really? These are your characters? <laughs> that, that was the, that was the first episode that I recommended. I think that's, that's not the pilot, but okay. Yeah, you're but, right. Uh, but yeah, that's, I think that's season one It's very early on. That's the one where Blanche's mm-hmm. menopause, um, you know, where Blanche is going through menopause and she's having all these, these feelings about it. Um, and you know, it, I, th- I think the mink thing, when, when Dorothy asks, uh, Rose about it, you know, sh- her, her view is this like very sort of pro animal farmer kind of view, you know, where she's like, yeah. you know, animals are born, they serve man and then they go to heaven. And Dorothy's like, heaven. She's like, yeah, there's a, you know, but like, and, and you know and so that's that's not my view right um yeah and i think you know as i said like i think throughout life it's kind of a it can be you can make progress um not all at once necessarily but you know at the end of the episode they're like well you know they're non-breeding minks um and I, actually I, I think two of the minks are gay but um but yeah. they, <laughs> they don't want to make more minks and they're like, we can't, you know, so, so, you know, should we get rid of them? And, and then Blanche is saying like, so are you saying that just cause the, the minks can't have babies, they're useless. And they're like, the minks stay. <laughs> or maybe Rose says that. And then, and then Blanche is like the minks stay anyway. Um, 
sort of the way the episode ends up, like, I'm good with it. Like, their plan is to breed mm-hmm. minks. It doesn't work out. They yeah. end up having mink pets for a little while. And then uh, the next show, they're just gone. Uh, <laughs> nothing yeah. bad happens. A- to 80s sitcoms. There's no such thing as, like, stu- stuff that's Exactly. <laughs> I think the garage doesn't show up for another few seasons when they want to remodel it. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, it, it, you know, it doesn't... It doesn't get, like, deep into, like, animal rights or anything, right? But, like, there's just a little bit worked in there. Um, You know, and it's less than on a show like Bones where where Emily Deschanel, you know, became a vegan. And she's, like, we're, you know, she wanted to have these various sort of, like, pro-animal episodes in it. You know, and she's eating some, like, soy ice cream at one point just, like... You know, not like really yeah. directly um, a thing. This is kind of more of an Easter egg, I guess. But, uh, but you know, that's the thing. It's like we often, you know, I mean, I guess you had a show like Lassie, right? Where you have a dog protagonist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just, I don't know. It, it's it's not that deep in that regard, but it it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's there a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's there more than it would have been if the writers weren't open to that sort of thing. And, you know, if Betty White wasn't. Um, so inclined. Yeah. Yeah. I think in some ways, Rose's perspective is, is really interesting for kind of what we're talking about before. Like she is, she is the daughter of a dairy farmer. And like, I think in today's world, we'd be like, Oh my God, a dairy farmer. Like if you're representing it from the kind of like super animal rights perspective, like that's going to be seen in a bad light. She, as you said, she, she isn't at the point yet where she's questioning the idea of, you know, humans owning animals and, and, you know, benefiting from, the products that animals create, but in her mind, like her father loves these animals. Her father, tre- her father treated these animals very well. And I, I, I don't remember, but I think there's a couple things where they talk about like, you know, how like, you know, sp- basically kind of like small town farming, mm-hmm. small farmer being better to the animals than like agribusiness type thing, you know, which again, it's like, you know, from, from some perspective, it might be like, well, you're still owning animals who cares. But like in that window, that's much better towards animal rights because you're not seeing animals as just for the product. And then, but again, 40 years ago today, you probably don't have, you probably, today, if you probably remade the show, you wouldn't have her be the child of a, a dairy farmer. Or if you did, she'd be very critical right. of him. But at the time, that's that's how you told that story. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, the, it, to me, it's, it's less about better and more about less bad is how I would generally phrase it. Yeah, right? um, that's fair. But it, it's like it's it's not whatever it's like it matters right less bad is less bad that that makes a difference to the animals involved right like um and you know i mean we've talked about in 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 other areas where you know you can it's it's like companies like companies have employees like the whole structure i object to but like some companies treat their employees less badly than other ones do right Another thing I want to pick up on, I mentioned how this show has become very beloved among like gay male community and then also que- queer community in general. And there, there's a lot of reasons why the, the general progressiveness is a part of it. Um, and there's some great articles that um, I'll post because they make the arguments even better than I do. Uh, you know, Dorothy's bitchiness, Blanche's, you know, man craziness. But but one part of it is that and one part I don't think I really resonate with and I was talking to friends of mine in the queer community as well about why we resonate so much with it. This show is one of the first I can remember that's really about found mm. family. You know, Dorothy and uh, Sophia are obviously mother and daughter, but 
a lot of the episodes are about how, you know, Dorothy doesn't get along well with her, uh, uh, I'm sorry, um, Blanche doesn't get along well with her sister. Dorothy has some, I've actually conflicts with her, her sister. Rose like, and her sister. Um, actually, none of them get along well with their sisters. Yeah, Blanche, uh, Dor- uh, Rose and her mother have conflicts. Like, all of them have conflicts with their kids at some point. And, and, and there's some ways in which I think there's a clear indication of, like, their blood families matter to them and they love their blood family very much. But these three are basically are for all intents and purposes sisters, and the four of them are a family yeah. now. And I think that story of you know family isn't just blood; family is the people who will be there for you. Family is the 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 people who will get you the biggest gift at the party you throw. Blanket materialism, but there you go. It's a fun song. Um, you know, like I think that story really resonates, and I. I I was surprised to see it being so strong 40 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like Sophia kind of feels like all of their moms. And in, in one episode, she says to either Blanche or Rose, like, I didn't go through however many hours of labor just to blah, blah, blah. And, so, and Dorothy's like, Mom, I'm your daughter. And she's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's a very, very, you know, found family feeling. And it does feel like, in fact, there's an episode where I think when Rose is in the hospital, like, um, everybody else wants to be there and they're like, oh, family only. And, you know, her daughter's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like back off. And then by the end of it, she's like, oh, I, th- I think she needs you there. You are her family as much as I am kind of, yeah. you know, and, you know, it kind of comes around to that, but that very much, you know, I, I enjoy that. You know, I, I think, I mean, I've, I think been fortunate in my life to like my family, I've always gotten along with. Um, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately most of them died when I was fairly young. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I, I don't have a very large family. Um, I, I've married into a large family, but, um, but like that, you know, I've, I've always felt like people who are, you're related to by blood. It's like, that's, that doesn't really have that much meaning to me. Like I care right. about the people I'm related to by blood because I care about them. Like, period, right? Yeah. It's like, if we're not related, that that doesn't make a, a really a difference t- to me. Like, I, I care as much about Lee's mom as I, I care about my mom. And that's, like, mm-hmm. the maximum. You know, <laughs> whatever it goes yeah. up to, it's it's that on the scale. And and they care about each other that way, you know. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's touching. And it's also, it, it gives them the, I think, the room to really have these fights and squabbles and disagreements, mm. but to have it be very believable that it always works out at the end, because I think it, it is very convincing that they do really all care about each other that much. And if they didn't like, maybe they would split up at some point, but, but they, they do care about each other that much. And so, you know. Yeah. I think I was really struck by it, especially with the conversations we have just been having about shows like Witcher, Daredevil, some of these others where there's kind of a frustration of like, can't you just let the group be the group yeah. for a while? You know, why do I always have to have that huge fight, you know, cowboy bebop mm-hmm. at the end or whatever it is. And, you know, from what I'm seeing, like almost every episode, there's some kind of tension and they're often like sniping at each other. And sometimes it's good naturedly. And sometimes it's really, really not. And, you know, maybe once or twice a season, like, in that episode where Dorothy doesn't believe Blanche, like, Blanche kicks her out, right. you know, and they get very close to Dorothy moving out. But that's not every episode. And there's a heartfelt 
it's not just that it's forgotten. It's that there's a heartfelt apology and then Blanche being like, no, you're, you're, she doesn't say you're my sister, but she basically says, like, I can't kick you out. You're my right. family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think she often uses the word best friend or the phrase best friend. Right. But it, mm-hmm. it means the same thing in that context, I think. Um, I will say that another show very much about find fam- found family that exists also in Miami um, with also burn notice. Yeah. Burn notice. Like also I yeah. think does a good job of mostly keeping the gang together. You know, it does, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's not as much of a comedy. Um, <laughs> I like that my, my, you know, favorite Miami shows are like burn notice, golden girls, Dexter, and then, like, I guess Miami <laughs> Vice. But, like, you know, there's... there's the, 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 the in, De- in both in Burn Notice and Dexter, the main character's parent is a major exactly, figure. Exactly, exactly. Uh, source of advice and guidance. <laughs> You've got some elements of found family. Um, also, I wanted mm-hmm. to say thank you for being a friend. And you had mentioned uh, on one previous episode, uh, you'd asked, like, if I did anything for the holiday. And I'm not, like, a big holiday person. But the biggest gift was indeed from you. Um, so <laughs> I felt like I, I wanted to mention that at some point, And then I didn't. And then I didn't. But then here it felt like it actually <laughs> uh, it fits in with the theme song of the episode. So well, you thank go. you. Well, there you go. It's, you're very – yeah, I, I, I do canned goods. And I sent him uh, uh, and your family uh, um, jalapeno jelly and um, blueberry chutney. Have you, have you gotten to open the jalapeno jelly not yet? yet? I need to get some – uh, some rice cakes, I think, are what I would like to have it on. Cool, but uh, we we haven't been shopping Good. much lately. Yeah, That's fair. So. That's fair. Nor have <laughs> I. Nor have I. Um, yeah. So, a couple of just like kind of last things I want to touch on about the show. Just again, in terms of like little issues it covers that just really surprised me for the way it was willing to deal with it. Um, one was like obviously for the premise of the show. You need to have a reason why these three women are living on their own. And two of them are widowed. Dorothy is divorced. And and now granted, she is divorced in a like very, very clear that like this is a you know, her husband like ran off with a stewardess to Hawaii. Like this is not, you know, she the, it's very hard to find moral judgment with her for for the well i'm not gonna find more judgment for anyone for divorce but you know what i mean like they they clearly make her like the wrong party but they don't but they also don't leave it there and there's an episode again in the first season where um you know her daughter's getting married and again this is the kind of like to me this is the kind of sitcom logic of like her daughter says she's going to go to uh, the Bahamas to get married because her parents can't be in the same room together. And she's like, oh, no, sweetie, don't do that. I'll put up with your father. We'll just have the wedding here. And so suddenly the wedding is going to be in three days right. in their house. Because that's where they have a set, Okay. So. Sh- sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it winds up with her getting to confront her ex-husband in this very searing scene that brought tears mm. to my eyes, thinking about how many people don't get this right. moment. Where she basically is saying, because the whole thing is that he he just walked out on her and then had his lawyer contact her. And and there's a moment where she just rips into him and says all the things that uh, you don't, you know, that you did wrong. And he, he at least does a like, you're right, I'm so sorry, I, I apologize. And 99% of shows, I think, especially when it's a woman, you'd be expected for that person to take the high road, to say... It's okay. I forgive you. I just needed to say that, etc. Instead, she just cuts him off. She's like, no, I don't want to hear your apology. I just want the one thing that you didn't let me have mm. before, the chance to say goodbye. Yeah. 
And then she makes him leave and it's ending on her terms. And I remember being blown away because I, I, you never see that level of like righteous anger really in terms of uh, it, it, portrayed in that kind of a way. Where it's not, where it's not portrayed, it's not like, uh oh, we got to worry she's gonna get a knife. It's a, uh, no, this is the closure she needed. Yeah, she gets to actually finally say her piece, right? And she's just like, right. this is, this is what I'm gonna say, and you don't have to say, you don't get to say anything. You already said what you could say by leaving, right? And having your lawyer yeah. contact me. So this isn't about what you have to say. This is about me airing grievances. Um, (laughs) you know, and then not just being fine afterwards, but feeling a little better, you know, and then he becomes a, a, you know, an intermittent character throughout. And I, I think they have a a fairly complex relationship as, as the series goes on, you know, um, but not one where she's just, you know, where it's just like, oh, they just get back together because, uh, because why not? But also not one where it's like when they don't get back together, it's like totally contrived. It's like, no, it, it makes sense, right. you know? So a uh, quick spoiler for something that happens in a much later season involving this plot line. Um, but for some reason I'm watching on Hulu and I have Hulu live TV. And so Hulu would get confused as to whether I wanted to like keep watching it in oh. order versus watching it on syndication. Cause it's on syndication everywhere right. all the time. Um, so I wound up watching the episode in which he says goodbye to him. And then the next time we turned it on and we thought, watch the next episode. It's the episode where Stan is back and sleeps with her sister. <laughs> there's, the hurricane, <laughs> right? like, there's, there's a hurricane. There yeah. Goes. We were just like, really? These two episodes are back to back. How can they do yeah, that? No, not, no. Not. Okay. There's actually six seasons in between those two. But... Um, another thing just to bring up is, you always want to kind of think about like how intentional is the commentary of a show. This show was made in the eighties. Reagan was president. Uh, the moral majority as the religious right was then called was very ascendant, was very loud in Miami. You had a very, very loud public anti-gay, uh, I think it's Anita Bryant. Um, but like a very strong, like, you know, get the gays mm-hmm. out of our teacher, you know, our, our, our teachers, all this kind of stuff, gay panic. Um, and to me, I think it's very like the fact that this show is being so critical in that time and that place is just one of the things to, to remember about it. Like this wasn't doing it when it was safe. This was a very intentional. I, I, don't, I wasn't paying attention to this part of the conversation, but I have to imagine that when conservatives talked about Hollywood mm-hmm. liberals, Golden Girls is probably like in their top three. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I, I could see that. Um, it, it definitely has the feel of a show that takes place during you know, the Reagan and then later during the Bush years. And I think Bush actually mm-hmm. comes to, to visit one time, like for a, like a handshake right. and Dorothy's going to like tell him off. Um, and spoiler, she, she doesn't, but, um, but she's mm-hmm. still mad. She's like, I think he got the point, yeah. uh, the message, but like, it definitely feels like it was, you know, going against the, the grain of a lot of what, you know, a strong portion of, of the United States was, was doing and thinking but at the same time a large portion wasn't also right i mean it's always been a a very divided place um and just then it was sort of like you know the presidency was certainly very you know by a landslide right like 1984 i think is the, the is the first election i ever saw and just watching the entire map practically turn red 
was like not Minnesota, not Minnesota, but right, Minnesota. right. <laughs> Everything but Minnesota and what was New Hampshire or, or was it only? I think District of Columbia. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, which I do also have to say, watching this show with a woman, my partner from uh, Minnesota, and every now and then being able to tease her. My my wife is a wonderful, sweet, oh, yeah. amazing woman, incredible mind, brilliantly intelligent. Has a little bit of small townness to her from okay. time to time, and so being able to have fun with her about Rose right. is a true delight. Yeah, I can see that. Um, <laughs> Rose being from Minnesota. Yes, exactly. Saint exactly. Olaf, uh, <coughs> which apparently is the rival school to where Mary went in Carlton. Really? So Mary's particularly has a hatred of sloth, as they call it. Um, Hilarious. Uh, yeah. So any other kind of. Um, particular episodes you want to mention or, or issues both there's one that i want to mention of something where i feel like they got it incredibly wrong that kind of says something at the time but for, for you any other things you want to yeah, bring up there's uh i guess there's two things um i'll go with one of them first and then you can do your thing and then i have a thing that's like not an sure. episode the episode um i'm not sure if it's one or two it might be two episode arc but it's like rose gets a letter saying that she got um uh, blood infusion at the hospital when she'd had her, I think her gallbladder out and that it might have mm -hmm. contained HIV antibodies. And, um, Ooh. and so that's a whole thing. And, you know, and Rose is like, you know, I just can't believe that, you know, I would maybe end up with HIV. If anybody would, it would be you Blanche. And Blanche is like HIV, you know, AIDS is not a bad person's disease, Rose. Like, and so I think that's mm -hmm. both, you know, in, I mean, the, you know, this was during the, the heights of the, the AIDS epidemic. And that, again, right. I think is a very probably, you know, um, kind of a, a, a queer friendly message, right? Where, because, oh, yeah. I mean, sure. I, I think AIDS was often framed as being this like moral failing or something. Um, right. And, yeah, it's the gay disease or the drug use. Right, exactly. And, and so I think just like... Just having like being saying that sentence even on national television, you know, mm -hmm. I think, I think is, is powerful, you know. And then the way everybody reacts, like Sophia's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to drink out of the same mug as Rose, or you know, um, mm -hmm. it, it um, yeah, I, I think that that episode just even just like confronting that issue at the time, I think, yeah. I think was a pretty big deal. You know, and it's funny because, like. It sounds cliche, but like at, at that time, a lot more families did like watch TV together. Mm. Some families definitely still do, but like I imagine that there were a lot of families where like they would watch this episode and then like parents would talk to their kids sure. about things and stuff like that. And like I, I love when shows can help start those Absolutely. discussions. Absolutely. That's, that's why this is a um, podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the episode I wanted to point out, and I think there probably are some of these, and and this is – to me, this isn't an attack on the show, but it's a way of sort of saying, like, the show is still only – like, the show is is viewing the world through the lenses that it has, and so there's some things that it misses. Um, and I think this episode is a great example of where it really does fantastically that uh, – like, fantastically badly. Um, Dorothy, as a teacher, is tutoring uh, a young Hispanic mm. student um, played by a very young Mario mm -hmm. Lopez with a truly epic 80s mullet. <laughs> yes. Um, and he writes this uh, really wonderful poem about what America means to him, and she enters it into a contest and gets him a lot of attention because it wins an award, including the attention of the INS, um, at what now ICE is called. Um, and he winds up having to be like facing deportation 
and eventually being deported. And, you know, Dorothy says, don't worry, I'm going to fight. I'm going to bring you back. That, of course, is never mentioned again because, yeah. you know, sitcoms, that's just how they work. But the conceit of the episode is clearly that it's unfair that he has to be sent home. But still, it was wrong of him to kind of run away because if you work within the right. legal system, the legal system will work out for you. And also that it should like Dorothy feels a little stupid for not having thought about it. But it's kind of presented as like, oh, Dorothy, how could you know? Whereas today, I feel like we would, you know, it's 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 kind of like, you know, um, you have, you have to be thinking about that kind of a thing, you know, like, and I, so the, the dual fact of Dorothy being presented as like that, it's that it's an okay thing to have done this without having thought like maybe this person isn't documented, maybe I could get them into trouble or some other kind, but even more so, the whole show's fundamental, like, if you work through the legal system, everything's going to be okay, young Latino man. Like, both of them just seemed so wildly out of touch. But again, at the time, like, it was probably a pretty progressive episode for pushing what it did about, you know, uh, deportation being wrong. And and so, yeah, Mary, we watched that. We're like, okay, well, that's, that's one where just the writers were just really not seeing what we would see today. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, it's interesting because, well, first of all, we talked about Bush and Reagan. And mm-hmm. there are clips of, like, the, the 1980... Um, Republican uh, debate, you know, like like presidential candidate debate right. between Bush and Reagan, and they're like arguing about immigration policy in a way that like that's like how Democrats argue about it now. Oh yeah, which like to me is still totally unacceptable. Like I'm like, I think it's just like a human rights violation to have borders that you don't allow people to cross outside of very specific mm-hmm. circumstances, but. Um, but like to see kind of how far um, thoughts have have come and and how just in absurdly um, just openly racist and xenophobic um, you know the right wing has become and like kind of how little progress has been made you know I mean I feel yeah. like negative progress has been made really um, but I do feel like that was an episode where the show was trying to be progressive, you know, and I, yeah. I think there's an extent to which it is, you know, what happens in the show is an indictment of the idea that you can just go with the system and things will work out. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like the point of the episode should be that Dorothy's wrong, you know, and like, first of all, she messed up by getting, by drawing the attention in the first place. Right. Like she, right. You, you probably shouldn't submit things without somebody's consent. Like, that just right. Yeah. That's just like a basic. Just thing. in general, any circumstance, but especially one where like there might be some reason that drawing official attention to someone not the right. Best idea. But I mean, like regardless. But then on top of it, that yeah, right. Um, and then you know, I I do think the show kind of understands that. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm unsure. Like I th- I think I might sort of headcanon a little bit that like the sh- the 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 show understands that like Dorothy's wrong there. But it like it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. paint her as really being wrong. Like it's you know right. she's clearly wrong in her thought that it'll work out, and like she's like oh well now I'm gonna fight and try and make it work, which like it, it, it probably doesn't because <laughs> that's you know things things don't work out very well um, in that regard most of the time. But um, but yeah, I I, I think they definitely could have um, 
been more clearly critical of, of Dorothy there. And um, right. in general, I think one of the show's weaknesses is, um, you know, representations, particularly like of people of color, you know, and it's mm-hmm. I, it, it gets it has the feeling of like trying, but kind of missing the mark, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, like there's the episode mm-hmm. with the the Cuban boxer. I don't know if you watched that one. I don't remember no. that one. But um, but it plays on you know people's stereotypes of what a Cuban boxer is or whatever. And the idea I think is that it's trying to undermine those assumptions. But at the same time, it kind of plays with them in a way where you're kind of laughing with them, right? Or that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like there's very few black characters, there's very few Asian characters. Um, when there are, there's often, um, it's not often the best. Sometimes there are, there is one um, where Sophia makes a friend in the park that I think is like actually really quite lovely. And it deals with, I don't mm-hmm. know whether it's Alzheimer's or, or some other kind of, you know, cognitive decline, but um, it's like one of the saddest episodes, really. But, um, but yeah, it, it just. I feel like overall, it's just a show that was trying to do a lot of things, did them better than people were generally doing at the time, but also for sure, you know, missed missed the mark. Um, yeah. Often, you know, and to the extent that that's the failings of the writers, the producers, um, you know, the network executives are like, oh, you can't, you can't do that. You know, it, I mean, yeah. you know, we don't know, but I, I mean, I, I will. I would love to read more about this to find out why. And and Sophia being from Sicily makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. I will go to my deathbed insisting that <coughs> I will go to my deathbed insisting that Dorothy Spornak is one of the best examples of an older Jewish woman on television. <laughs> and you can tell me she's not Jewish, but like, and granted, B. Arthur herself is very Jewish. She herself has very been a, was an outspoken Jewish advocate. She actually found out. Uh, played Yenta in the first mm-hmm. production of Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway, which is kind of awesome. She also had a very long, wonderful career, did a lot of very progressive things, um, uh, tackling abortion in a TV show in the 70s when she was on yeah. Maud. Um, but her character just reads, to me at least, and to, there's a lot of other great articles about this as well. Her character reads is so Jewish. And I, I think, granted, she's Catholic from Queens. It could be pretty similar. I imagine that in some original draft, she's Jewish, and then they changed it for producers. But who knows? That's my own question. <laughs> it's, it's certainly possible. Um, I th- so Estelle Getty is also Jewish. Um, so Oh, is she? The woman who plays yes. Sophia? So, oh, that... <laughs> and they're both more. from New York. Um, the, the characters are... Right. So Dorothy was born in Brooklyn, and Sophia was born in Sicily, but... You know, Dorothy right. grew up in Brooklyn, and that's where you know Sophia was for. I think Queens actually. No, she it's said. Brooklyn. Yeah, Is it? yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely. It's, wait, can I possibly be wrong about this? <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> there might. She mentioned some. Maybe she lived in Queens with Stan, but she mentioned something of being. There, there Queens, might have been a mention anyway, of Queens at on. some point, but definitely picture it: Brooklyn, nineteen thirty-five. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Um, and that and that's where and they have an episode where um where they're uh friends of Sophia and Sal, who is um Dorothy's father, Sophia's husband, um, who, mm-hmm. who died before the show starts. Um, the character does. Um they have um they have a pizza knish stand 
with uh, you know with a Jewish couple or with with Sal's Jewish friend, and and then he shows up on the show, and so you know I think I I'm not disagreeing with the the premise mm-hmm. right but i also think that there is a certain you know a lot of sort of stereotypical jewishness in and by i mean stereotypical specifically right yeah. um i think also is kind of there's an intersection between stereotypical jewishness and like stereotypical new yorker and like yeah, ethnic new yorker and so i think Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be shocked if they're like, oh, you can't make him Jewish, make him Italian, right? And some of the right. jokes, like, knowing that, like, the actresses are both Jewish and that maybe a lot of the writers are, like, not Sicilian, it's like, hmm, ma- like, is this, like, a negative Italian stereotype? And it's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, in some ways, you know? <laughs> but, like, right. it also feels like it's trying to be this kind of, like, loving Italian stereotype, but, like... I don't know if somebody doesn't like it. I'm certainly not going to tell them they shouldn't. I mean, yeah. I recently found out that like Cuomo apparently wouldn't watch The Godfather. And I'm like, oh yeah, no people was, Italians in the '70s found The Godfather like, horribly Whoa. offensive. But but it's so cool. It's like they, you know, as much <laughs> as like you know they're the villains, they're the heroes too. You know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, and I get that, and I think it goes, you know, it goes in both ways. Like I think. There definitely is a sort of like being from Brooklyn becomes its mm-hmm. own thing, um, but like also I think about like you know statements that Jack Kirby made where he said like yeah like on some level he he would have loved Captain America to be Jewish you right. know Steve Rogers to be to be Jewish and in many ways he kind of was but you couldn't tell that story at that point right. yet you know so him being an Irish kid from Brooklyn made him much more of an mm, all American right. kid um, you know and I think like. Uh, it's why I think it was so important for a lot of people that Peter B. Parker in the um, Into the Spider-Verse movie was Jewish. Because also, like, um, the only thing about the Peter Parker character that, you know, could be read as Jewish. Could be read as many other things, to be sure. Um, but, yeah. So, it's it's one interesting thing. Uh, what's your last thing you My want to bring up? My last thing was just, like, about <laughs> moms and found family. Mm. And... You know, I, I grew up with, I mean, you know, with my mom and my dad until I was eight and change. And then my dad died. And then I grew up with my mom for the next 10 years, basically. Right. Um, but I, for the, for, I don't know, half of that, most of that, even I would have like, there was three friends whose houses I would often stay at on like Friday and or Saturday right. night. One of them was yours, right? Your yeah. mother's house. One was mm-hmm. Uh, Logan, who's, you know, sometimes been on the pod at his mother's house. And one was uh, my friend Andrew at his, I mean, his dad was around for a while, but then his his dad had a, um, a heart attack, literally died, got brought back to life, wasn't, you know, really the same. Um, and then right. died again eventually. But like growing up in kind of like all of my found families were these like um, matriarchal families, basically, you know, of, of a single mother. Um, and, and so I, I feel like the show kind of in some way has more meaning for me in that way as well. Just, you know, see that, um, just having, you know, and all of, all of these moms were like second, third and fourth moms for me, you know? And even when I was a kid, like Mm -hmm. there were all these families in the building also. Um, and so having, having that sort of combination of the sort of found family, um, and then, 
you know, all the characters are moms. They're all grandmothers too, you know. Um, right. It just, I, I think that's just something that, like, when it comes to representation, I think people often talk about, like, seeing themselves represented, right? Or, like, mm-hmm. so-and-so should be, should people should see themselves represented. And I think that's absolutely true. But I think it's similarly important, more or less whatever, but similarly important to yeah. see other people that we care about represented, as well as people we don't even know, you know? Um, yeah. And so, yeah. No, I think it's really true because I, I don't think of – granted, my, my mother had a lot of sort of social issues and so for her it was particular this. But, like, I, I know she had a very good uh, female friendship for, for quite a long time, you know, and, and that was a very important part of her life. And later in her life she didn't. And I kind of uh, – you know, I were talking about kind of wishing my mother had friends like the Golden Girls. Um, also, like, to me, one thing I think is interesting in terms of the way we think of these things – I always thought Grace and Frankie, which is another great show about older women, that it was kind of like the Golden Girls mm. part two. Grace and Frankie, those characters are Sophia's right. age or like maybe a little yeah. younger. Like, uh, But we're now in like the fifth season, I think, and, and Grace is 81. You know, so they start out 20 to 25 years older than the right. Golden Girls do. Um, in my head, they were the same thing because, again, just the, the awful mm-hmm. ways we, we think about these things. But, but yeah, no, I totally get that about the found family and, and – you know, I think I I don't I can't really relate to it because it's not necessarily the the life my mother led, but it's a life I could have seen her leading, you know, and especially if nothing else, because one of the things that the sh- so much of the show takes place in the kitchen. Right. And so often it's the like, you know, someone's upset. Often it's Sophia, but often it's it's Rose often. But but any of them, like another one of them, therefore, is preparing food for the yeah. others, you know, and it just like, you know, um, that was uh, I, I I'm gonna get I'm trying to get teary out here like I the movie Encanto I absolutely loved and adored and one thing I loved about it is the idea of the mother healing people mm-hmm. through food you know um you I'm sure I remember do. like when when we were kids we'd go out and we'd come home and mom would have like a a you know pot of tomato soup and a loaf of bread because I was a super picky eater you were a vegan there weren't many things <laughs> to do us could eat but like that's what she'd make and I just I love that the kid the 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 so much of the show happens in the kitchen because that's how they show each other. Love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I mean, that's only one of the things, you know, I, I love so much about your mom, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that I, I will I will always remember that. And, you know, her like trying to find the right kind of um, like when I still ate some cheese, but like not cheese with rennet. Her being like, oh, well, ricotta uh-huh. doesn't have, you know, yeah. she's like, so I can make manicotti. And I was like... Okay, cool. You know, um, which is better than when I was incredibly proud because I told Paul I'd found a way to make cheddar cheese sticks without eggs. At which point, Paul pointed out they I was like, do, they, do so, they have cheese in them? <laughs> so, you know, uh, your heart's in the right place, but your mom was a little yeah, better. Exactly. She was a little better at, it at the time. I think you've, you've had she, years she, to. She learned more. Yeah, she yeah, learned yeah. more. All right. I, I think it's a good place we can wrap up, Paul. Any of the last thing? Uh, I think it's a good place we can wrap up. Paul, uh, Zen Madman, what's Zen Madman doing these days? Zen Madman ate a vegan cheesecake on uh, on the day after Betty White died. So that was that was my my way of honoring I appreciate Betty it. White I appreciate it. and the Golden Girls who are always eating cheesecake. I had a, a Daya strawberry vegan cheesecake that I somehow got for $2 uh, because I think nice. they don't make them anymore, sadly. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, what's Zen Madman doing? Zen Madman's tweeting. Zen Madman might start streaming again. Uh, Zen Madman can turn Zen Madman's neck all the way to the right now, which is a great relief. That's impressive. That's impressive. Um, but uh, migraines have been happening, I think. So we'll we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Zen Madman on all the places. Uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And um, we might be streaming episodes mm-hmm. of this, recording sessions of this. Uh, so if you're excited about that, uh, write into Zen Madman or you can write into me, The Ethical Panda. Uh, go to theethicalpanda.com. You'll find it on my website all the places you can find me Facebook, Twitter, etc. I might be going back onto TikTok. I'm not sure yet. Um, any Golden Girls esque attempt to show that I'm still young and spry. Um, but you can email us, tweet at us, Facebook, let us know what you think. Did you love Golden Girls? Uh, did you learn something more about the show today? Do you want to go back and rewatch it? Are you someone for whom it's just hopelessly dated and you can't get into it? All that's totally legitimate too. Let us know, especially let us know if you want us to be streaming. Um, uh, I'm going to have myself, Paul, thank you all so much and have a great day. Thank you all for being friends. I don't know that. That's that. <laughs> I, I, I tried something. <laughs>